When we first thought of starting The Lost Chill, we knew we needed to find an easy-to-use platform to get our podcast out to you. When we found Anchor, we knew it was exactly what we had been looking for. Not only does it make recording and editing a breeze, but my favorite part is that Anchor distributes your podcast for you to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more, which saves us so much time. And my favorite part? The fact that Anchor is completely free. It keeps getting better too. Not only do you not need to pay at all for a full one-stop podcast creating platform, but you can also get paid from your podcast with no minimum amount of listeners. It's so simple. Create and edit your podcast directly on your phone using the free app, or you can also use your computer or tablet as well. There's no expensive equipment necessary to get your podcast off the ground. We truly believe you will love Anchor as much as we do. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your own podcast today. You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. And we are the hosts of the Lost Chill Podcast. And welcome to our first real episode. Woo! Confetti, confetti, Woo. party. <laughs> what a meow, time meow. to be alive. What's that noise? <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> I'm just going to use that sound bite, actually, so everyone oh, get used to that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's embarrassing. Oh, good, man. good way to start out the show. Yep. So obviously, we might just be a little bit excited. Hopefully you guys are too. And last week we released an introduction to ourselves so you could get to get a little glimpse on what to expect from our episodes and get to know us a little bit. So if you haven't checked that out, check it out. It's good. Yeah. So we say some things and stuff. Yep. I'm, you're working with nothing today. <laughs> okay. I mean, sometimes a, great things a, come out of that. This is a great first episode. Yep. All right. It'll be good. So that being said, we're excited to get rolling with our first book discussion, uh, the book that actually inspired this podcast, believe it or not. Um, that book is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. So kind of a cool, it was a good timing with this because we did technically start it last year. And so we were kind of reading it over New Year's, which is fun because New Year's is the midnight holiday. Mm-hmm. And New Year's also brings about a bunch of possibilities because, you know, anything could happen. New Year, new you. Yep. Or just out of 2020. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we thought it was really great. It inspired a lot of thought and conversation with us. And so after that, you know, we're like, let's read more together. Let's talk more together. Let's do a podcast. Oh, my God. Okay. And if you recall from last week, that's when we lost our chill. We lost it. It's it gone. gone. It's still gone. Yep. Haven't found it again. And that's fine. We hope to never have it again. <laughs> we have a lot to say about books. A lot. Just going back through our text messages for notes on this show. We have a lot to say. We do. We do. And if you're married to us, you might have already known that. 
Maybe. You to you, this did. is probably not brand new information. <laughs> no, not at all. But to the rest of you, hello. And welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, this is silly. Yeah. So. Uh, I got the sleepy sillies, and I think it's rubbing off on you. That's fine. That's fine. So before we get started, it's important to note this episode does contain spoilers. But... Don't worry if you haven't read it yet, because you can still follow along with us. Our podcast is like a book club where we read and discuss everything about the book that we read. So that being said, this episode comes with a trigger warning about suicide and overdose. Midnight Library is either fantasy or fiction. I saw it listed both ways, so we can call it fantasy fiction if we want. This was first published last year uh, in August of 2020. It gets an average Goodreads rating of 4.23 out of 5 stars. And last year, uh, this won the Goodreads Choice Awards for Best Fiction 2020. So Matt Haig is an English writer, and he's known for a few dark adult novels. He touches on um, mental illness, and um, he has another book called The Dead Father's Club. Kimmy? Dead Dad's Club! No, it's called The Dead Father's Club. You're part of The Dead Dad's oh, Club. Oh, maybe he got it wrong then. Is maybe. he a member? I'm I'm honestly not sure. It's about an 11 year old boy who. Yeah, I was actually reading about that. Probably have to read it just because. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I added a couple of books last night to my to be read. Um, He also has a nonfiction book titled "Reasons to Stay Alive," which, uh, from what I understand, definitely dives in a little bit more to the mental health and. um, He, I think, he struggles from a lot of issues. Yeah, he does. From what I saw. So I think it's good that he's channeling that into something good to help people yeah because i've uh since we started our social media we've been following him mm-hmm. hi matt that'd be cool hi. if you're listening hi, matt. i hope that you're listening <laughs> we saw your cool joke the other day about how you're starting a podcast too and you wished it was about yoga so you could call it yoga matt we will guest star if you'd like to bring definitely some people in yeah if you want to get your ratings higher <laughs> just call us <laughs> Because we're kind of veterans by yeah, now. Yeah, by so. now this is our like whole first episode and everything. Yep, kind of a big uh, deal. <laughs> a few of his novels have also been optioned for film so far. Uh, Brad Pitt was supposed to be involved in the Dead Fathers Club. I'm not sure if that's taking off. He the can ground. make a podcast called <laughs> Armpit. <laughs> Do not edit that out. <laughs> Yep, I'm here all week, guys. On repeat, even you can listen as many times as you want. Pete, I'm Pete, and you're repeat. (laughs) I hope my dad listens just to hear that joke. (laughs) It's one of his favorites. (laughs) Pete and repeat. Um, So, yeah. So, and then also the Midnight Library has also been adapted for 10 episodes um, on the BBC radio last year, uh, which is cool. Fancy kind of gave me like an, I want to say Orville Redenbacher, but that's the popcorn <laughs> guy. <laughs> Orson Welles vibe. <laughs> I told you, you're working with nothing today. Wow, I kind of like Orville Redenbacher. <laughs> you guys bring the popcorn. Yep. Ooh, or maybe Orville could just hit us up for yeah. some hey, adverts. We, we like popcorn. Yeah. We'll, we'll sell your popcorn. Yep. Pop up. <laughs> This is not a paid advertisement at this time, but hopefully in the future. Maybe the next time you listen. Oh, God. Uh, So, The Midnight Library. Basically, what this book is about is we have a female, Nora, 
she kind of isolated herself and just marinating in her own regret over her life, you know, puts everything as her fault. Not only has she ruined her life, she's ruined other people's life. She's just such a disappointment to everyone she knows. So she decides to end her life and she attempts to do this via overdose and kind of wakes up, I guess you could say, in a library. Her old high school librarian is there and kind of the most common blurb from this book is just repeated over and over for a pretty great synopsis of what it is. Between life and death, there is a library, she said, and within that library, the shelves go on forever. Every book provides a chance to try another life you could have lived, to see how things would be if you had other choices. Would you have done anything different if you had the chance to undo your regrets? So she she has her librarian from high school that meets her in this not heaven, not hell, not purgatory, but this strange area that she's tapped into in her mind while she's overdosing. And I don't know about you, but Mrs. Elm was more memorable memorable to me than Nora was. I don't know why, but she gave me a really warm and fuzzy feeling. I was way more invested in Mrs. Elm than I was Aww, in Nora. I loved so. her. I will say on a somewhat similar note mm-hmm. that as I was looking back preparing for this episode, I had a hard time grasping anything about the story whatsoever and I was kind of holding more to the philosophy points and stuff that made me think yeah. than I was with the actual story and Nora and what she went with I was like what provoked my thoughts let's just discuss that forever instead of the story well I think that while I think that the story was well written it was um I I think that it sort of fell flat at the end for me because it became predictable, and I don't really care for the predictability of stories. I like to be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still enjoyed the book thoroughly. Yeah. Because the saving grace for me was how much it made me think. Yes. How much I put myself in her shoes and be like, oh, if I had changed that one thing in my life, made one decision, went one different way, where would I be today? Not in front of a mic, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that kind of makes me think a little bit about one of the quotes from our dear friend, Mrs. Elm, Uh huh. where she kind of says, at the beginning of a game, there are no variations. There is only one way to set up a chessboard. There are 9 million variations after the first six moves. And after eight moves, there are 288 billion different positions. And those possibilities keep going. There are more possible ways to play a game of chess than the amount of atoms in the observable universe. And so I think that just, it keeps comparing chess to life. And it may seem kind of boring at first and stuck in one thing, but kind of the more changes that you make, the more it alters off course and the more possibilities open up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always preach to my kids, there's consequences for every decision that you make, Mm -hmm. good or bad. But there's consequences regardless. And that quote from Mrs. Elms just goes to show you that, you know, it's kind of mind-blowing when you sit back and think about how one little thing, one little decision could change your world. Yes, that's very true. And kind of going even further on that note and with the chess analogy mm-hmm. is how common and regular you can feel. Mm-hmm. And that's what she says is, even if you were a pawn, maybe we all are then you should remember that a pawn is the most magical piece of all. It may look small and ordinary, but it isn't, because a pawn is never just a pawn. A pawn is just a queen in waiting, and all you need to do is find a way to keep moving forward. 
one square after another and you get to the other side and unlock all kinds of power. That was actually one of my favorite lines from the book because it's such a great analogy using the chessboard yes. in this sense because it's so true. You start out as this pawn in life and you can do whatever you want if you get to the other side of the chessboard. You become this magical queen. Mm-hmm. You can hold all the power. And yeah. I think just the whole keep moving forward, keep going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't write it off as just common mm-hmm. because it's not because of all the possibilities. <laughs> I think it's it's great too that, you know, it just shows you that it was really hard work for that pawn to get across the board. Yeah. It was not easy because they had to dodge all the bigger, tougher scarier pieces i mean that knight would be pretty scary if you were a pawn i'm just saying yeah and you know i have one more chess quote because i just loved this yeah it made me want to like learn chess because i don't know chess you don't no so you know that the pawn becomes a queen though when they get to the other side right what well i'm just making sure that you knew that part i have this gift as a reader where I can infer? read words and I can be like, whoa, she probably. It's not checkers, I'm just saying. Checkers don't have specific pieces. No. Right. I mean, I know that there are, I don't know like absolutely nothing about it. Like it could might as well be checkers to me. <laughs> I know there are I pawns don't... and queens and knights and the little horsey things and there's a king. Those are the knights. Oh. There's castles? Those are the rooks. Okay. Yeah. See, I know. Stuff. I've, I've, chess has been. Popping up in my life so much lately. You know what? Huh? We should read The Queen's Gambit. We should. What? That's also how we came to that, because you probably already saw that's on our list. <laughs> yeah, it's already there, but we're going to pretend like that just happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, let's get back to my last chess quote, because I think it leads to the rest of the story well, yes. even though it was tucked in there. But yeah. you can pick up that Mrs. Elm is inferring a lot yeah. directly between the difference between life and death mm-hmm. with this. Look at the chessboard we put back in place, said Mrs. Elm softly. Look at how ordered and safe and peaceful it looks now before a game starts. It's a beautiful thing, but it is boring, and it is dead. The moment you move, make a move on that board, things change. Things begin to get more chaotic, and that chaos builds with every single move you make. It's an easy game to play, but a hard one to master. Every move you make opens a whole new world of possibilities. In chess, as in life, possibility is the basis of everything. Every hope, every dream, every regret, every moment of living. Never underestimate the big importance of small things. That's another fantastic one. There were so many good ones when it came to the chess. There was. I wish I had highlighted in my Kindle more or at all in this book. Yeah. Uh, Because there was such great, great analogies in here that yeah that's what i like um when it comes to what i think is good writing it i don't like books that are like and then they did this and then this happened and then i like to read between the lines so to speak i feel to like infer that, things to infer things <laughs> she's gonna punch me in the face <laughs> can you infer that <laughs> <laughs> but yes i like to infer i like to I think it's so boring when it's just like this happened and then they did this and did 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 did. Um, so my biggest question to you okay. is because I don't think we've actually talked about this yet. Ooh, 
I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Where do you think she was? Because, hear me out, she overdoses. I assume that this is not something that her head has made up. I assume that there is some beyond that she's gone to at the beginning of the book where this is how it is. Like you go to a library or in the other Slider's case, he was in a coffee shop or? No, he was in a video shop. Video shop, yeah. Like Blockbuster. Yeah. Hashtag 90s. Um, Miss Blockbuster. You would. Yeah. Um, but (laughs) I thought that it was some sort of maybe alternate reality is where we were getting at with that, where that's the meaning of death and that's what happens. And that's now your forever. So did you, I don't think she would have been forever. I think it was, did you equate it more than to like a purgatory or I don't even know if it was like a real, like, I kind of think it was to a degree in her head, but Mm -hmm. I think just a common in between that people probably mentally actually go to and you see that all the time in many places like when even if it's not intentional any like almost near-death experience Mm -hmm. you know you can see that in tv shows of when someone dies and they're suddenly talking to someone that they is that a gray's reference that was a gray's reference way to read between the (laughs) lines thank you i inferred but then even in like harry potter Mm -hmm. you know where he is dying and he's sitting there with dumbledore at the train station kind of between life and death and he has to choose yeah look at possibilities i think it's just a common thing and you know you hear about people in comas to kind of somewhat being aware of what's going on but also other things and people who have died and i think i don't know it's a real but not, but it is. I, yeah. It's, it's very abstract. Yeah. For sure. And so I don't think it's supposed to be tangible uh-huh. or understood. Yeah. And I can, I can get behind that. I was just curious because that's where my mind had went. Trying to piece together on where she was at. Mainly probably because of the other slider. I still have questions about that. And so maybe, Caitlin. Yeah. Let's tell our readers about the other slider. Yeah, sure. I, we, I think we should start about, start with that. So basically, Nora is going through a few different stories. Uh, She goes back to her ex who she didn't marry. She goes back to, you know, being in a band with her family. She moves to Australia with her best friend, and she keeps coming back to the library after seeing these alternate lives. And she's never completely quite satisfied. So then she is like, you know what? I had this random dream for no reason, but it was actually thanks to you, Mrs. Elm of being being a glaciologist and just studying climate change and glaciers in the north. In Svalbard. She's in the Arctic. She comes across this guy who seems to be paying her an extra amount of attention in an odd way. And she fights off a bear, (laughs) which was super cool. But that still didn't give her enough in her life. She didn't feel comfortable in that life, even though she was kind of living on a high after. That did start to change things for her, though. It did. Because the bear was coming at her. It was coming in hot. And she kind of realized, maybe I don't want to die. You're right. I forgot about that. That's when she was very changed in that regard. And her eyes sort of opened to that fact. She did a lot up there because that was even when she started to forgive her parents. Yeah, that was one of the longer uh, lives that she was in. Yeah. So so. there's a lot going on there. But one of those things is this guy paying her extra 
lots of attention. Mm-hmm. And he goes and she kind of thinks he's hitting on her. But not really. But then it twists. Yeah. And he basically calls her out on her shit. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know what you are because last night we already met and now you're acting like you don't remember me at all. Mm-hmm. And so he says that he's coined this term sliders and that he's just like her living in this, we'll call it purgatory for lack of better words, um, sliding throughout all these different lives and that he doesn't really ever stay there very long and that he's been in this dimension or realm for years. So he then uh, says that his library is the video store and I can't remember who his person was but it was somebody that made an impact on him that was his librarian so you have this interaction between the two of them and you feel like oh they're kind of they hooked up first of all and you're like oh well maybe she's gonna find love find satisfaction with this career she didn't find satisfaction in their love making well that's spoiler too. alert spoiler <laughs> alert <laughs> But you you think that, oh, she's also now decided that she wants to live. And then all of a sudden she's back in the library after all of these things That's sort of take a turn. That's sex. <laughs> <laughs> I am deceased after that. I lost my train of thought. Fuck. You're welcome for my service. <laughs> oh, so, but you never hear from him again. Who the fuck was he? Is he real? Did she make him up? Is that somebody from her life that she doesn't remember? Who was he? You saw him for five minutes. You think that he's going to be like this magical key to the story because he's in the same boat that she's in. And then poof, he's gone. How do you feel about that? It could have been a lot more. And I think there's a great story in there. And it actually reminds me of another great story that kind of broke my heart more than anything in this world. What's that? It's by Ann Brashers, who is, you know, I get attached to my author. She wrote Sister of the Traveling Pants, but she mm-hmm. does a lot of novels for adults. And it's called My Name is Memory. Okay. And it was kind of, the way it was about possibilities of life was not in, you get, you can fit all these possibilities into one life. It was more with the idea of reincarnation. Mm-hmm. But there was lots of people who kept finding each other again in their new lives. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It really was. But it broke my heart because it was so fucking good. Ended on a cliffhanger. And then she was like, oh, people weren't as hyped about this as I wanted to be. So I'm not going to write the rest of them. So you never know. So that's weird. But that's the vibes I got from this. Okay. Is that, you know, their memories are kind of wiped clean, but not completely between lives. And there's this awareness and they do keep finding each other. And some of them still falling in love. Some of them still keeping these rivalry battle type things from life to life and Mm -hmm. that's kind of vibes i got and that there is a great story in that Mm -hmm. and since that didn't happen here i think it was almost more of a way that her brain helped explain things to her because that's what it talked about sometimes it touched very lightly on the science of it and the whole quantum physics and everything is happening all at once and it did talk about how our brains oversimplify things so we can't understand it and so i thought he could have just been that You know, like she had some questions and Mrs. Elm was just being too gosh darn mysterious for her and wouldn't tell her anything straight up. And so I think, you know, 
part of her brain was like, all right, let's drop the chess analogies for once and just give me some answers. So he explained it in a different way to help her understand exactly how it worked, how long you could stay there. He had said that he was in there for like a long time. Yeah. But how could you even know? Because, I mean, she went through, I don't even know how many lives in the span of probably minutes. Yeah. So it's hard to even say how long anyone is there or him or, and even when he does finally decide or go back. I think that's an interesting theory on who he was, that the brain just made him up, basically a coping mechanism in order to help guide her to what she needed to understand. Yeah. And another thing I could think about is somewhat touching on your alternate reality, but maybe there's just all these different planes and levels of consciousness and of the spirit that people can connect in. Mm-hmm. And like kind of what's coming to my mind now, and it's newer than even when we read this book, is that movie Soul from Disney. Love Soul. There is a place where one, souls get lost, but uh-huh. the people who help them find them are alive and they go there through like meditation, but it's not on earth. It's like a mental, it's a spiritual thing where their yeah. souls are meeting. And so I could even see him being like that. And, you know, he's probably somewhere else trying to commit suicide. And maybe he feels like he has been there longer because he's in a coma and he's on life support for forever. And that's what I was he's sort of not thinking. wanting to come back to. Mm-hmm. And so it can just be, I think, you know, souls can touch in different ways and yeah, different worlds. And, you know, that's even, you know, the experiences of life and death and those beyond. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, which also brings me to a quote. <laughs> I love quotes, by the yes, way. This do. book had so many good ones. Um, so this one is, You don't have to understand life. You just have to live it. Where was that in the book? Do you know? No. Sorry. That's okay. I was just trying to figure out what that was in reference to. I think it was something Mrs. Elm said, honestly. It sounds because I think I got warm and fuzzy and mysterious from it. Yeah, because I think it was when Nora was like, but tell me this, tell me that, tell me that. And she's like, (gasps) yes. Okay, now that sounds familiar. you don't need these answers. You just need to live it. This meant a lot to me for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so basically, when I was in high school, I was severely, severely depressed. And the wondering why was a huge hang up. And I think it's very common. The wondering why in life in general? Yeah. Like between, like there were the regrets, there were wishing things were different. But then there was also, why did this happen to me? Why did he die? Why do people die young? Mm -hmm. What's the point of this all? And just those kind of questions that you get hung up on. Yeah. But really, and someone actually said to me at one point, like, honestly, one day you probably will have the answers or the understanding, but that day it won't matter. And Mm -hmm. I think that's true because really there's not even a possible answer, especially when you're sad. No. That will make sense of it. There's nothing anyone could say that's like, oh, that makes sense. Then I'll stop being depressed now. Nope. And... (laughs) That's not a thing. So it's even, you know, you get so caught up in why as if those answers make a difference, but they don't. The happiness and joy of life does not come from understanding it or making sense of things, but from the possibility of finding happiness by actually living. Mm -hmm. Like you won't find it in concrete answers that explains why everything in life happens. You'll explain it by giving your chance to watch the whales breaching and the puffins being cute on the glaciers and... (laughs) And whale watching in Australia with your best friend. Like, you right. have to, like, live it to give yourself the chance for happiness. Oh, absolutely. And, 
You know, that's a fantastic thing that whoever told you that said, because you might have an idea with your life experiences, why something happened earlier in your life. Say for instance, now you might have an idea on why you were feeling that way before, but does it matter? Nope, sure doesn't. Because you're at a completely different part of your life. Yes. Completely different part. You've made it through the fog. You've done great things with your life regardless of what happened yeah. back then. But when you're in that moment, yeah, it's, it's hard to it's see hard. past that. Yeah, It's hard to see past getting out of bed some mornings. Mm-hmm. You focus on that because that's you have to have an answer as to why am I feeling this way? What did I do to deserve this? There has to be a reasoning behind that, but right. there doesn't have to be. So interesting. And I think that's one of the things too of why hindsight makes it more clear is because you can see how the little decisions and the little things, how they played into the big picture. Right. And that's why it's so get, you get caught up in the moment. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's the whole phrase of, you know, seeing the wood from the trees and yeah, all that. Sometimes you're just too close. Yeah. You're too stuck in it to understand it. And sometimes it's hard to do that. Which is why everybody from the outside can always see the issue, (laughs) but not the person from the inside. Exactly. And this also brings me to another thought. On the same note of only seeing what's in front of you at the time, Mm -hmm. another quote that I loved that I've felt and experienced and done was the, it is quite a revelation to discover the place you wanted to escape to is the exact place you escaped from, that the prison wasn't the place, but the perspective. Hmm. Yes, that's pretty spot on right there. (laughs) Right? And I, I think, you know, the other thing, it's, you know, you convince yourself of all these things when you're so depressed. Like if I had answers, if it would, it would be different. If I could just start over in a new life, in a new state, in a new anywhere, it would be different. Mm -hmm. If I just had a new job, if I just lost 10 pounds, if I just did this. And then when you do those things, your same problems still follow you. So another book I like, I like to bring all my books together. Oh, full circle. It's called Love in Midair by Kim Wright, and it is about relationships. Is this nonfiction? It's fiction. Oh, okay. The main character's friend says to her, she says, Elise is a romantic. She believes she would be a different person if she was with a different man. Isn't that an interesting way to like see things? But Because it's kind of about a... I don't like that. A marriage gone stale. I don't like that. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. It... But it's the same thing. It's, you know, you're in a bad relationship and like, oh, everything would be better if it wasn't for him. I know. Well, I, I see that part of it. But where, where my mind went with that quote was that you change yourself to the people that you're around. And I don't like that. Sure, you can wear different hats and you can let different parts of your personality show because I'm not the same person with you as I am with my husband, as I am with my kids. But... You shouldn't ever change yourself completely. I don't think that's what it's saying. But that's where that's what I. Oh, that that was my interpretation. Kind of, uh, but I don't know what the context is either behind. Well, yeah, because she's in a shitty relationship, quote. and so that's her what she's convincing herself. Mm-hmm. Things would be different. She would be different. Everything would be better if she was with someone else. Yeah, that's where it went with that. And I mean, some people do change themselves for different people. That was a thing that Elizabeth Gilbert struggled with in Eat, Pray, Love. Because before she goes on her journey, so she divorces a guy. Yeah. Then she, the story is eventually she goes and travels. In between that, that she touches on in the book, she's dating another guy. And her friends even comment, they're like, you're starting to look like him and sound like him. And That's weird. 
And she kind of notices that of how she just pours herself in and like kind of enmeshes, mm-hmm. bring it full circle, <laughs> bring it full circle with the people she's with. And uh-huh. so I think it's a thing people do. Okay. But I think it's just all of it, a huge thing of if there are problems, it's easy to blame the external. Sure. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. A lot easier than bringing the focus onto yourself and inward yeah. and looking and not playing the victim. Huh? Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's hard too because it gets to that point because I feel like Nora, she kind of did both. She blamed a lot of the external, her brother, her friends, feeling At a lot first. of guilt for that. But then she blamed herself a lot. Well, that's what got her to the suicide. Yeah. Is she's like, I bring despair everywhere I go. I have nothing to offer anyone in the world. Yeah. That was in her note was it's all me. It's all my fault. Mm-hmm. Her and cat died. You know, like, that, that was, was that was traumatic for me. Yeah. That was sad. My pet's dying. Sorry. Just... But the thing I found interesting about, you know, that specifically that grew into this thing was that there was a book of regrets. Mm-hmm. And it was so yes. big and so heavy. And part of what Mrs. Elm was going through at the beginning was showing her what you regret specifically doesn't change. But if you see the big picture, Mm -hmm. if you see the full light and know that you didn't affect it as much as you think you did, Mm -hmm. then it's okay. It's okay because she felt terrible for her cat dying, but then she learned that her cat would have died regardless. Right. He was sick and that was his way of not letting her deal with that tragedy and thinking that it was somebody else's fault. Right. Even though she ended up blaming herself because she thought that she let him outside and he got hit. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of timeline because it goes with lifting the regrets and it's so specific. Then we get to the glaciologist where she's starting to realize more. Yeah. But then it kind of stops telling the stories Mm -hmm. and it starts going so fast. It does. And this is where it becomes hard for me to hang on to the story because... That was where it's like, oh, some life she had kids, some life she didn't, blah, blah, blah. And for me, that was hard because I get so attached to people. Yeah. I don't think I could have gone from lives like that, gone from like But she wasn't really attached to those people. And I would have gone attached, but I don't see how she couldn't. Because that's not what she wanted at that point. She basically kept seeing all these possibilities of her life that she no longer regretted and that was being lifted. But, you know, it kind of was so non-committal non attached to like even children and even people and mm-hmm. i i don't know even if i was dropped into the story i get attached to people rather quickly but well, she didn't get attached until the end right so it's funny that you mentioned that because i personally attributed that to the depression because she had been depressed in every life up until molly and ash and how you know that she was depressed in all those lives is the mention of pills in every single life, that there was a mention of antidepressants or what was in her medicine cabinet, those type of things. And so I attributed that to the low point of her depression and that she was unable to come out of the fog. And then once she was with Ash and Molly, the fog lifted and there was no more need for pills because that is where she was the happiest. Do you think the fog lifted in that life or did it gradually lift with all the other lives so she could come to that i think it gradually lifted with all the other lives uh because her book of regrets was getting smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. as she went through the lives and realized that you know we always think as humans that everybody's staring at us everybody's concerned about what move we're making and what we say what we wear what we eat what we do that everybody cares Nobody cares. No. 
because they're all worried about the same things that everybody else is looking at them and critiquing them. And so I feel like that was kind of her book of regrets was she was so concerned about all of these things that nobody really cared about. Right. And except for her. Right. Because it's perception. It is. It's you're perceiving other people's actions in your own life in a different light than anybody else. So boom, you get regrets. You get regrets. On that note, one of the things too that spoke to me was it's so easy while trapped in just one life to imagine the sadness or tragedy or failure or fear are a result of that particular existence, that it is a byproduct of living a certain way rather than simply living. Mm -hmm. Where was that part? That was towards the end. I think so. I don't know. It's kind of the opposite of one of my favorite quotes in the book of, you know, the, the sadness is going to be there in every life. You can't escape that. You can't, there's no way of living that can immunize you against sadness. And one of my favorite quotes. Unless you're a seven and then you just run away from your feelings. You're not immune though. They'll catch you sometime. Ooh, you got that right. Caught the feels. (laughs) And so the opposite of that truth of there being sadness in every life and you can't avoid it was we don't have to play every game to know what winning feels like. We don't have to hear every piece of music in the world to understand music. We don't have to try every variety of grape from every vineyard to know the pleasure of wine. Love and laughter and fear and pain are universal currencies. We just have to close our eyes and savor the taste of the drink in front of us and listen to the song as it plays. We are as completely and utterly alive as we are in any other life and have access to the same emotional spectrum. And I love that. It's very four of you. It is. All I like all the feels. In the feels. I mean, I don't even remember if it was because of this book. It probably colored it more than I thought. But if you even recall my my social media sharing at the new year, I was like, the sweet isn't a sweet without the sour. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> but and you you love that yeah. half and half of... I do. You but love the you, sweet and savory. You can't have one without the other. Sure you can. No, you can't. I want all the good all you the time. You wouldn't know I what am... happiness was if you were never sad. Sure I do. That would be a baseline. It would never be enough. But I want to be happy all the time. I'm a seven. I'm an optimist. But you're not happy all the time I've met you. Oh, yeah. Damn depression. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, depression. So, and I think, I just like those universal feelings in humanity. That's why we read. That's That's, why we understand chess analogies. (laughs) Even if you've never played chess. Nope. I mean, I've played it. Oh. What? You want to play chess? I have to relearn it. No, that's okay. If you've played it before, you're fine. I'll play you. It'll be a win for me. Don't death stare me. Do you want to play kickboxing? No. I don't want to get my ass kicked. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, same thing. I get it. <laughs> same, same. Same, same. Um, so, I don't know where I was going. Fuck. No one does. I don't, I'm lost too. Um, so, yeah. It was... Gosh, like I told you, you can see how I just got hung up so much on the philosophy. Like, I loved that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're getting to the end and that's when you're saying it gets predictable. Yes. Did you think she was going to stay with, in the life with Ash and Molly? Once it started. Yes. Once she, once she began to come out of the fog. I was truly happy. She was truly happy and realizing that that's where she wanted to be. I definitely saw that that's what she wanted in her real life so that she was going to fight to get back to that life. And I honestly think... That was a terrible place she got stuck in. 
honestly, yeah. because she at one point she was told by Mrs. Elm that eventually she could just choose a life and eventually mm-hmm. the library would just disappear and it would become real. But it didn't. Once she also realized how her actions affected others that, you know, the boy that she was tutoring for piano all of a sudden had this life of crime because she wasn't tutoring him any anymore and he went down a different path and um, she saw how much that affected his life and then her neighbor who she got prescriptions for and things like that. Once she started realizing those things, once she found Molly, once she found Ash and realized how happy she was in those relationships, once she came out of her overdose stupor, it was like Bob Cratchit on Christmas morning. (laughs) (laughs) Going from door to door, screaming about how she wanted to live and how she was going to do better and be a better person. And I don't know if it's just because I read it right after Christmas or whatnot but it felt like a christmas carol to me and it was kind of obnoxious at the end but it i still enjoyed the book a lot yeah but it just felt like ebenezer scrooge (laughs) or it wasn't bob cratchit it was ebenezer scrooge what the fuck am i thinking (laughs) it's okay i've been saying bob cratchit for weeks probably because you just like to say cratchit probably (laughs) but it's scrooge damn it because my husband's a Scrooge, except he never wakes up and starts screaming about how much he loves Christmas. Well, if he ever does, you'll know he had a hell of a dream. <laughs> so here at The Lost Chill, we do have a rating system for every book that we read. We talked about it on our introduction episode, but I'm going to go over it real quick again. Um, five is all-time favorite book. Four, great. I would definitely read it again. Three, this was a solid book and it was well-written. Two, not very good. Could have lived without reading it. And one, why the fuck did I waste my time on this rubbish? Kimmy, where are you at? Oh, gosh. So I thought I was a solid three. Yeah. But I think maybe not anytime soon, like not yearly, but I think probably one day I'll reread this book. Yeah? I like the philosophy of it. So I think I guess on that scale, I could give it a four because I, I like the depth and the thought. and it, It's a thinker. Me. Yeah. So I think- It's a thinker. Maybe five years, maybe more, but I'll I'll come back to it one day. Okay, so four for you? Yeah. Cool. Um, I will definitely give it a solid three. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great book in regards of this made me be pretty introspective in my own life. But one time's good. If they make a movie, I'll see it. I like the thinks and the feels. That's uh, why. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. I'll go deep again one day. So, I mean, um, it was a, it was a good, solid book. It was well-written. It was. And to conclude what this made me think of, that we kind of all get our own midnight library without being suicidal, is this. A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads only lives once. I love that quote. Yes. And I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast and love books as much as we do, that you'll love that quote too, because that just fucking hits you right in the gut. It does. It really does. I I remember reading that and I was just like, wow. Yeah, it's true though. It's true. You get to feel these other feels and think of other things that you may never have if you were just in your own on-read corner of the world, which sounds terrible. Yeah, it does. Thank I, God I for like, books. I like going to different places, being with different people. Escaping? Escaping. Escaping. 
you haven't whispered as much this episode. I haven't. I feel like I should whisper some. Probably. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. So we hope you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on the Midnight Library. We want to hear your thoughts, too. Please reach out to us on social media at The Lost Chill on Instagram and Facebook and at The Lost Chill One on Twitter. While you're there telling us your thoughts on the Midnight Library, give us a follow so you can always know what the next books are. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning, just in time to have with your morning coffee. It's like we planned it. It's like we planned it. Brilliant. Mic drop. Don't drop the mic. No, we love the mic. We love them. Don't (laughs) cradle the mic. Next week, we will be discussing the secrets we kept by Laura Prescott. And the following week, we're going to talk about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab, uh, which we have both just started reading this week, and it's looking good for that. So we also have our full schedule for the month of February listed on Facebook and Instagram. And we are so thankful for everybody who has listened to this episode. Um, We want to give a special shout out to our friend James Cummings. Uh, he has helped us get this podcast off the ground and he has been a tremendous help to us. So we just want to give him a little shout out. Hi, James. Hi, James. He also has his own podcast, Death Metal Disco, where he talks about anything and everything. He also has the voice of a lumberjack. So I'm sorry if you want pancakes after that. (laughs) And he does voiceover work as well. You should definitely give him a listen. Yep. He's pretty much a badass. Well, that's all that we have for you today, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye. Oh.